Hello, it's Friday. Welcome to the I Am The Code podcast. I am so excited to have you listen to us. It's really amazing. Thank you so much for your feedback and your comments. Each time you support I Am The Code, you are elevating young women and girls globally. Believe it or not, it's true. Your donations on Giving Tuesday was really, really amazing. Thank you again from all of us at I Am The Code. But I can't also stop thinking that we are living extraordinary times. It's really tough out there for some people. It's really hard uh, behind the scenes. People are losing their jobs. Uh, it's very tough out there. But we must be grateful for what we have. Some people don't have what we have. So sometimes we do think about what we don't have. Let's start thinking about what we have. And I think that that's one of the wisdom I've learned, uh, especially from Senegal, my country. It's always important to uh, accept what you have. Don't worry for what you don't have yet because it's going to come, okay? Today, I invited someone uh, actually who knows about having and not having, uh, Laura Ulowa. She's a Colombian human rights uh, advocate and activist. I just love her. She's just really awesome. We got nominated together as goalkeepers in 2017 by UNICEF. Her story moved me to tears. I remember walking in New York in September. I was like, wow. I just couldn't believe her story, but it is true. She went through that. It was really hard. I think the fact that she was strong and and really beautiful woman, a strong, inspiring human being just like inspired me. So I thought that you wouldn't hear from her. Please listen to her story. It's really amazing. I will see you on the other side. Laura, good afternoon. Good morning. I don't know where you are now. <laughs> good afternoon to you, Mariam, and good morning from here from Colombia. Uh, it is it is it is the morning, but I'm very happy to be in this in this program with you. Thank you very much for inviting me. No, no, my pleasure. What I said to people all the time, the reason why I wanted to invite you on the podcast, you and I got um, nominated as goalkeepers and uh, we were nominated by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and UNICEF. And I remember um, us sharing a room together in New York. And I was so impressed when I saw you. It was really beautiful. And I was so honored to share uh, you know, in the evening to share the platform with you, but also share the the award you know because we're the first people i think or the second people yes. to, yeah to receive the award um the second thing that really touched me about you was your humility uh, your kindness uh we become friends straight away <laughs> <laughs> you know we become friends we were very nervous during the day it was raining in oh, new yeah. york and uh, but we become very good friends and um you know i, I took your mobile phone and I, said, i really love this lady she's really amazing And so since then, we become friends and we met again last year. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to invite you to the podcast because I just think you are someone really remarkable and I love you very much. That's why I wanted to come on. Oh, Marianne, thank you so much. These words mean so much to me. Um, I want to share also that that day, well, I was very, very nervous. You know, I am from Colombia. English is not my first language. And that day, I remember when I met you, I just saw this beautiful lady with, with this gorgeous smile that made me feel so much comfortable. I have always believed that's, that, that a smile is such a powerful tool because it leads you into a virtuous circle. 
You know, when you see somebody smiling at you without even knowing you, you immediately smile back. And I think that was the, the beginning for me uh, of a very nice uh, friendship with you. But oh. then uh, I remember us sitting and chatting before all this, uh, all these awards were, were given. And I remember you talking to me about your story. And the only thing I could think about in that moment was, oh my God, I, I don't deserve this award. You know, there is people like Mariam who have done so much in their lives that I don't deserve this award. But then I kind of changed this thought and said, you know, if they are giving this award to me is because I deserve it, but I must work hard to do more things like Mariam has done. So that's you've been my friend but you've also been my inspiration oh, and too. each time i see you is i i just feel myself with that incredible energy you have and that hard-working uh, woman you are so that's beautiful oh thank you. you you're so amazing really honestly i think i think we're meant to meet each other and uh <laughs> but anyway so how are you doing are you are you in colombia how what did what event did you go before the lockdown The last event, well, no, I, I went to my hometown city in, in Colombia, to Cali. Mm -hmm. um, and it was very special because I gave a conference at my school where I was studying when I was kidnapped. So it was very special to go back and to talk about this, you know, hard story that I have from a happy ending side. So that was very nice. And then the lockdown stopped, began and I've been in my house for the past six months. So it's been quite long. <laughs> I think the reason why we also met is because we both have really amazing stories, but we managed to overcome. Do you mind just telling us about your childhood and maybe explain to the girls, because we have young girls who've been through what you and I have been through, uh, and they will be listening to the podcast. And I'm hoping 10 years from now, 20 years from now, they can listen back to the podcast you and I are sharing. Because for you and I to be here today, it's really amazing. Uh, I mean, the word amazing is not even enough to say that. So would you mind just sharing about your childhood with the girls? Of course, I totally agree with you that being here, both of us, is amazing. It's a gift. And I feel grateful for that. Um, my story is a story of a, a difficulty. Many of us have gone through difficulties. But mine especially, especially was that I was kidnapped when I was 11 years old. I was going home in the school bus in Colombia. I was in fifth grade. Suddenly the bus stopped in the middle of the road and five people went inside the bus. They were all armed and they took me away. I was the, the only one, the only child that was taken out of the bus. And I was taken into the Colombian jungle, which is very nearby my house. One of the biggest mountains, the Cordillera Occidental. And I was held hostage for seven months and it was very difficult time for my family for and for me my life changed completely i i had to you know sleep in, in in tents in the jungle for seven months the food was different the treatment of these guys and these girls with me was, was very hard but at the end you know you have to accept the things that happen to you because you cannot change them unfortunately many times and when I, what i did and to make this story which is long short What happened at the, at the end was that I found out um, that these people who were guerrillas, who were terrorists, were also humans. And in my mind, and war, sometimes war dehumanizes the other. 
But at the end of these seven months, I understood not only that they were humans, but I understood that I was a better person by knowing a new, a new reality that for me didn't exist before I was kidnapped. And since then, I've been working very hard for peace in Colombia, but not only from the side of the victims, but also from the side of the ex-combatants, because they also want a second chance. And this, the fact that you and me are here today, Mariam, is a second chance that life gave us. So what I try to do in my life and what I work for is to give others and to give my country a second chance towards peace. I will not cry on the podcast. I only cry once. <laughs> I will not cry now. But um, no, no. one of the things I was reading before I started the podcast, I was doing um, some research about you because, yes, I know you, but I wanted to understand a little bit more of your mentality. And I heard that for two months, you, didn't, you did not speak to them. And then you changed your mindset uh, where you started to you know, befriend them, and started to understand the, the side of the story. Why did you do that? Because, you know, when I was 11 years old, I was sexually abused by somebody I trust, you know. It's not similar, but I can feel you. I can feel you trusting these people, but also like, okay, let me be nice to them. Maybe they'll be nice to me back. What was going on into your mind? At the beginning, as you say, th those first two months were hor horrible to me. First, because I didn't accept that I was kidnapped. I didn't accept that, even though I was kidnapped, not one day, but for several, every day I woke up thinking this is the last day. So first, uh, I didn't accept it. And second, they were very hard. You know, I came from a loving family. I came from loving teachers and friends. And these, these people were very, like, cold-blooded. So I didn't understand why were they treating me so bad if I haven't done anything to them. So I, I decided I came up with this plan in which I said, well, what if, you know, if I become the, the worst as I can get, bad girl and not nice at all, maybe the, they'll get sick of me, they'll get bored of me and they will release me. So I tried to be the worst uh, version of myself for two months. What ended happening was that they didn't care. They kept talking to themselves. We were in the jungle. Sometimes they would play uh, table games. They will never invite me anymore because each time they tried to do so, I would answer to them like, oh, that game is so boring. I don't want to do that. So at the end of those two months, that strategy mm -hmm. was, was really bad for me, not for them. So at that point, I don't know why, I came up with another idea which was, I think sometimes this was like sent by God because I don't know how at that age I came up uh, with so many <laughs> good and really bad ideas. But this new thing was that one day I woke up early and I went to the place where they were all gathered and having breakfast. And as I saw them all sitting down and eating their breakfast, I said, hello, good morning. Did you sleep well? I remember these words because I was trembling. And they, they, they looked at me and they say, yes, are you okay? Yes, I'm hungry. So come and sit here. They opened a space in a bench. I sat down. They passed me uh, breakfast. And I remember when I finished, I, I thought at any moment they're going to tell me, Laura, what, what are you thinking about? Are you crazy? This is a joke. But they didn't say that. On the contrary, a guy stood up and he said, I'm going to fetch some wood. Uh, would somebody come? 
in that moment, Mariam, I said, not me, you know, going to the woods with a guy with a hatch after being a bad girl. No, 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 no. But that, in a way, I had to recover their confidence because that was at the end what I was trying to do. So I said, okay, I'll go. And I went with that guy. He cut down a tree and then we started to take the wood to, to the place where they used to cook. And from that day on, I felt, especially that day, I could be useful, even though I was kidnapped and I, I was alive, you know, um, and being kidnapped was not in my hands. I couldn't do anything about it. So I say that accepting one's reality is the first step to understanding, to forgiving, to feeling resilient about something that has affected us very much, but that we had no control over that situation. That's, that's so amazing. I mean, I'm imagining you sitting, talking to you now, and thinking about your resilience, but also the fact that you were sad, and but you wanted to find a different strategy. So what would you say to young people today who haven't been through what you and I have been through. We don't wish for them to go through what, we, what we've been through. But what would you say to young people today? I know you are part of a lot of global network, and I read also you are part of the, you know, putting manifesto together against child violence. What would you say to young people today who are looking for purpose and looking to do something? Mariam, I love that question. Because for me, for many years, the word purpose was a nightmare. Every day I would woke up saying, oh my God, what's my purpose? And I feel there's a lot of people in Instagram and social media who I'm sure they have found their purpose. And what about me, you know? And I think purpose is a beautiful word now. And I live it in a different way. I believe we have many purposes in life. I believe the most important purpose we have is to be happy and to make people around us happy you know, with simple things like love. But the second one is, for example, I worked for many years to, for the government uh, in the reintegration process of ex-combatants. I had a purpose at that moment, which was uh, giving these terrorists a second chance to get back to society and recover their lives. See, But then I changed my work. And, you know, even though I have working in different scenarios, I believe my purpose is to help those who are aiming to have a second chance in life. Call them ex-combatants, call them victims, call them a friend of mine who fight with her boy with her boyfriend and she's heartbroken. You know, it's helping lifting up people who need a second chance. And how am I, you know, um, accomplishing that purpose? in many ways, but I don't believe I have to stick to one way of accomplishing that purpose to feel I have a purpose in life. So what I would say to young people is start feeling, you know, reading your heart on what things drive you, what things you enjoy doing, and start working towards them, but do not worry if sometimes you change the path to get to that purpose. When I was younger and I heard the word purpose, I thought of one way and one objective, you know? And that kind of scared me. So I like to be more flexible and, and I want to enjoy the purpose of my life and not to bring like weight 
uh, with that statement. That, that's really fascinating. You said that you know the when you come from a traumatized background as us, we we try to you know help government to change policies across the world because it's it's not normal that young people, you know, people like us, been through to what we've been through. So when you when you're talking to government, I know that you, like I said earlier, the manifest all of that. When you're talking to government, what would you what do you say to them? when it comes to changing policies and making sure we protect young boys and girls? For me, the most important thing uh, for a government to do uh, when, when, when it works with different groups of people, depending on, uh, we call them victims of violence, whatever group we're talking about is to develop the policies with them. You know, the worst thing a government can do is to develop policies without involving the population that policy is aimed to. So for me, that is the most important thing a government must do when it comes to public policy, to involve the persons, the, 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 the people that public policy is being designed to, to help, you know? You help young women and women in Brazil. You speak up quite a lot. So what, would, what do you say to people usually? I, I worked with a girl in South Africa one year ago when we were signing the End Violence Manifesto. <laughs> you know, it, it's incredible, but girls and women live this very similar situations all around the world. Uh, we can go from one country to another, but and we will find very similar things that happen to women and girls. Sexual violence, disparity at their work. You know, so we must work for equality, not because we're women, but because we are capable of great things, you know, and that's what I believe. I, I don't feel I must earn a, a, a job at a workplace because I am a woman and they have to hire a certain amount of women. No, I think I must be hired because I am strong, because I'm smart, because I'm capable, because I am a human being as a, as a man, you know, and we're both absolutely capable of everything. And that's also why we must be respected. Not because we are women, because we're humankind. And as a humankind, we must protect ourselves. It is incredible the distinction we have done over the years. What will, will humankind be without men or without women? We are equally important in this equation. I believe we have to get to a point where we all feel equal. We can all hold a baby. We can all change the diaper. You know, we can all drive. Uh, we are humans and we are equally intelligent and capable of anything. Like I said earlier, we never thought in our lifetime we're going to be here today, um, you know, in, in being celebrated, but also being recognized uh, despite, you know, our suffering. But most of our girls are very poor. Uh, opportunities are limited. Their situation is so tough. You know, what can we do to make this better in making sure young women and girls don't suffer like we suffered? Sometimes suffering is inevitable. But I believe the most important thing we can do amongst women is to forge a strong network amongst us. Doesn't matter if we're poor. Doesn't matter if we live with more opportunities. But having a network makes us feel stronger, not all only to raise our voice, but to share our suffering, to feel there's empathy amongst us because many of us, many women suffer in silence and we shouldn't do that. 
I believe having a strong network will support ourselves and support all the women in the world. Doesn't matter if we go through very difficult times or if we also have very good news to tell. But uh, the network I, I, I am talking about is the network of your close family and friends, of your neighbors, of your peers. But having women, lifting up women is the most important thing we, we can do. Because sadly, sometimes women are the ones who make it also very hard for other women to raise. Um, so first, I would say, and most important, having a network. And second, I think technology is a very important tool to enable and to democratize knowledge and to democratize opportunities in the world. Um, so that's that's what I would say, Mariam, the work you do is incredible. It's more than incredible, and I would love to have the word, because you are putting together these two things that I've always thought are the key, you know, and are a network, because the girls you work with, they are, they, they're building a network between them. They're feeling they are capable. They're lifting themselves up. And also the part of technology where you are showing them the world, even though they are in a refugee camp through a computer and, and through empowering them and telling them that they are capable and that they are smart and beautiful inside and outside. They are able to do whatever they want to do. So I think just saying to women that there are no limits, no, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what life has brought to you, just saying that there are no limits is opening the world again. No, absolutely. I mean, there is no limit. You and I are not victims. We are survivors now. We're strong women. We're changing our world. So I want to talk about our beautiful uh, friendship and the fact that we got uh, nominated together to advance the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Because what you're doing in Colombia, but also sharing stories, making sure we're building bridges, goal number 16, getting the institutions stronger and stronger so people can be saved. You know, my goal is goal number four, making sure young girls and boys have access to education. Why do you think right now this is so important? I'm so concerned about the SDGs because we just lost uh, you know, almost a year. Uh, we haven't met, uh, we haven't done much. But you know, I'm also very optimistic that you know, we will advance the goal together. Why do you think this is important now? More than important, I would say it is crucial to keep advancing, advancing in the SDGs because poverty doesn't stop. The world has stopped with COVID-19 in many areas. Many countries had gone in for months in a lockdown and that has been terrible for all the people, not only in poverty, but also in middle class who lost their jobs. We're talking about millions of people going back to poverty, which for me is one of the most, in, well, no one of the most important goals because they're all important. But in these crucial times, it's one of the most maybe weak goals because there are all other goals that maybe have been positively affected by by covid like for example environment you know we're having many we're, we're having less co2 in emissions uh, we're having less use of the waters maybe enhance some some of the of the of the sdgs but in another way some others have been affected as for example poverty as for example health how many people have not been vaccinated this year 
we have to try to keep on with the with the SDGs because there are going to be difficult years to come. But we have to try very much to work in the poverty SDG, uh, to work in, in building bridges, in trying to you know come up with to to use our imagination because I think this COVID nineteen has pushed the humanity into their homes in a way, but from their homes, we have become maybe more technological because we have all have, I've never had so many meetings in Zoom before in my life. Uh, and now I love them. I love them. I've, I, I miss being present, but I think it has given me more time to do more things. But we have to think out of the box and to try to bring imagination to us And think about how are we going to help these millions of people who are going back to poverty to go back to the initial state they were before COVID-19. And, and another thing I was just thinking, Mariam, is that for the first time, I think in humanity, there has been something that has united us all. You know, sometimes we have war, but it is in Europe, it is in Asia, it is in Latin America, or sometimes we have natural disasters. But COVID-19 has affected every corner in the world. We're all knowing what it is. We're all working towards fixing this problem, finding a solution. So I think maybe the world need, and I hope it's not another pandemic, but we need to feel there are things that bring us all together. And it is very sad that the fact that brought us together was a pandemic, but we have to stick together for the future because the problems that will come after this is ended, we will need to face all these problems together. It's not a matter of one country or two, but of the world as a whole. And I just hope that this can have a positive effect in the future. You know, talking about togetherness, when you received the award that, that night, how did you feel? You know, I, I have a picture with you and will I am. <laughs> How did you feel? What was coming inside of your, your tummy and, and your brain? That was a very special night. I was very excited. There were two things that came to my mind or that stick to my mind while I was giving this, the short speech. And there were my family and the victims of Colombia. I think I was lucky enough to be like selected to receive the award, but that award was not for me. That award I received it on behalf of all the victims in Colombia because it's incredible how a country with so many victims is also a very resilient country. I have met many, many victims of different circumstances here in Colombia, especially war, some that have been kidnapped, some that have lost their families, some that have lost uh, part of their bodies. We don't want this to happen to anybody else. It's incredible When you feel there's all there's many people that like you have gone through many difficulties, but they live with gratitude, they have forgiven, and they want the best for the country in in the future. They don't want more war, they don't want more resentment, and and so that day, being nominated as a a, a young leader, I said, you know, this is not because I am a victim. This is because I come from a country that has taught me to forgive from a family that has taught me to forgive. I am here representing what many of the victims in Colombia are. So that was something that really filled my heart with love. And that was what I felt 
That day. It was amazing. You know, I, I think about Colombia all the time when I think about you. I, but when I think about Colombia, I also think about so many young girls and boys, you know, some of them from Africa. They are living in deep poverty. So I know inside of me that you are there, uh, you know, doing what you have to do to help so many people. So thank you for your service to humanity. Thank you so much. I will always thank you for that. You know, the other thing I was going to ask you is, what would you say to the youngest 11 years old who you know, stood up there, say good morning to those people who took you away from your mom and dad and your family. What would you say to her now? First of all, I will give her the hug I really wanted at that point. I would tell her everything is going to be okay, which were the words that she wanted to hear that at that point. But also I would tell her to trust her heart because all the things that Laura, the 11 years old, wanted somebody to tell her, were the things her heart was trying to tell to her. Sometimes we think we need people to come and say things to us, but we should be strong enough. We should trust ourselves enough to be able to tell the things that our heart are saying to us, to us. We don't need other people to tell them. We have to be sure enough that the words to us coming from us are enough. When I was at the tube station in France, I'm going to cry. One of the things I, I said to myself is, I didn't say to myself, trust yourself. But I said to myself, tomorrow will be better. I was sitting down, trembling and waiting for someone to come and rescue me. But I was saying to myself, tomorrow will be better. Until now, when people disappoint me, when I go through difficulty, when I try to help people, they, they don't take my, my support and my energy seriously. I always said, today is Monday, tomorrow is Tuesday, tomorrow will be better, Wednesday will be better, Thursday will be better. I am so touched that you have said that because I can feel what you said. I can, and I really hope the girls will also feel because it's true. And Mariam, you know, it's beautiful that you say tomorrow will be better because that is encouraging yourself and even though we can be born into a family in the world as soon as we arrive to this world our umbilical cord is cut and we are alone so I think we have to start living and we have to live knowing that we are alone to forge ourselves to get strength on our own even though we know we have people around us But before people around us, there is us. And there will always be us until the day we die. So we must work towards being strong. It doesn't matter if we're alone or with a network, but we have to work in ourselves because we are alone in the world. You're right. I had a, I had a Buddhist monk um, on the podcast. He said, we came in this world alone. We will die alone. Uh, and we must start living and understand that we, we are alone. So solitude for me is not loneliness. Solitude for me is to reflect back on, on the world. What message do you have for, for our girls who did not have the chance or privilege to, that you and I had today? You know, you talk about, you know, humanity. I, I saw your, your videos. You move people when you talk because you have forgiven. You know, you are not angry. You are not mean you're not uh you know seeking attention but you want to make the world a better place what would you say to these young girls 
right now who are sitting there waiting for something to happen? First, I would tell them to enjoy what they have. We have to learn to enjoy life when we're full of things, when we lack things. But just the fact of being alive, breathing, is a reason to feel joy. First, I will tell them that to feel gratitude for their lives. Then I would tell them to work towards that they like, that they enjoy, you know, because you won't receive opportunities if you don't work for them. And that is something I believe it is true, you know, you won't be sitting in your house and then the opportunity is knocking at the door. That doesn't happen. You have to work towards things you like. You have to be curious. You have to read, to investigate, to talk to your friends. Um, but I believe first we have to be happy and grateful with the life we have. Not to think about the life we don't have. And, and you know, um, because that is what gratitude is about. To thank for what we have and not to grieve for what we don't have. Uh, so I would start with them and then I would say work to for, for that that you like. Push yourself. Today, you know, young people are looking for the skills. So who's your mentor? Who's mentoring you right now? I am writing a book and the editor that is helping me, I think he has become a mentor to me. And this guy has become very important to me in this path because he's seeing my story with another eyes. You know, when we write our, mem our memoirs, it's so hard. I'm trying to write my memoirs, but I need to find someone who can hold me when I'm crying. <laughs> you know, it's like, like everybody said, Mariam, where is the book finishing? I said, I don't know. You know, I need to find someone who's going to say, you know, it's so hard to tell the stories from now, you know. Do you find it hard to tell, to tell the story again? I do, Mariam, I didn't know you were writing your memoirs. I am trying, I'm trying. So I need to find someone to finish it though. <laughs> yes, it is hard. Sometimes I'm writing a funny story and I may laugh, but some other times I may be writing a sad story that happened to me while I was kidnapped. And even though I, I may cry, I may feel sad about what I'm writing and what I went through. As soon as I turn off the computer, I come back to my reality because that is one of the things I believe have been most important for me to live a happy life. You know, I went through so many difficulties when I was young, but I live the present. And that's the only thing that exists for me. The past is in the past. I can do nothing about it. And I feel the past, even though it had made me in a way the person who I am, does not accompany me, does not walk by my side every day. It is in the past. And I only bring the things that brings me joy, but not those that makes me sad or that brings me grief. So I think that is something that has been very important for me in this process of writing. It's a healing almost. It is. Yes, it is a healing. Um, it is a process. It's great knowing that I am stronger than I was before and that every day that I write, I also become the person I want to be because I have my future. This is the present I am living in, but then there is the, the, there is the future. What do I want to do with my life in the future? How do I want to live it? You know, and I want to live it with joy and with gratitude. So I am much more 
interested in my present and my future than my past. You talk about gratitude and forgiveness, and I just love that about you. The fact that, you know, what you just said earlier just touched my heart so much. So what would you say is abundance? For me, abundance is a decision. Feeling abundant is not tied to the fact that you have opportunities, friends, money. Abundance is having a big heart and deciding to fill your heart with things you enjoy, with love, with cherish, with happiness, with gratitude. And with that heart, giving all those beautiful things you have to the people around you. That is abundance. What is humanity for you? What is humanity? For me, humanity is the most grand and the most greatest expression of love that we can give to everything around us. Sometimes we treat ourselves good. We think we deserve the best. But I think the moment that in our mind, those thoughts become universal, that is humanity. When we believe that we all should be treated as we treat ourselves, and not only humankind, but also animals, but also the places we live in. When we live our life with so much love that we touch and we just infect or affect positively everything around us with that magical mist of true love and compassion that is within us. I would say that is humanity. Not thinking there is a difference between us and other people, us and the sea, us and the animals, but that we are all part of the same space, which is the world we're living in. And I would say for me, that is humanity. How do you reinvent yourself? I, I think I have reinvented myself many times. Sometimes when we think about the word reinvention, we think about like a revolution. <laughs> But I think in that word, there are little changes also. We don't have to reinvent ourselves by starting, I don't know, the way I dress, changing it completely. No, I can't reinvent myself from little things. For example, when I started to write my book, I had never read before a book about someone who had been kidnapped. Um, and one, because I was afraid maybe I would, you know, try to write my book as another person did. And one day my editor t told me, Laura, you must start to read books about people who have gone through similarities. And when I started to read those books, I just couldn't stop. Why do I think this has been a little bit of a, a reinvention? Because I have, I started to see my story from a different perspective now that I know the stories of many other people. I think there are little changes in our lives that make us, make us feel different. And that is a reinvention. I am walking every day, 45 minutes since last week. And <laughs> just, I can't go out of my building, but I just face outside the elevators and I just walk around and around and around for 45 minutes. That is a, a reinvention for me because I, had, I, I used to do no exercise at all. So talking about reinvention, If you ever want to go to a revolution or to make a revolution, you have to pass through different 
and many reinventions, which are little changes. So don't stress yourself on thinking, okay, tomorrow I will reinvent myself as a whole. I will make a revolution. But just start with little changes that you, deep in your heart, feel you have to do. Because never make a revolution because others are making it. Make a revolution because you feel it in your heart that you have to get there. Make a change because you need it, because that will make you happy, but not because others are doing it, because we're very different. So thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Bye-bye. You know, one of the things I say to people is that we need to include people. People like Laura, their voices need to be heard in this world. Voices like her need to be included as per our team, uh, Rebuilding Inclusion. I chose this team very carefully for you to understand that we need to include people into our conversations. She offers a an interesting perspective through a refreshing, encouraging story for times right now, times of forgiveness, inclusion, listening and empathy, uh, especially with compassion and kindness. I admire her for forgiving and for building a better life for herself. I am so thankful to all of you and all the folks out there who are making this podcast global. Thank you for subscribing and listening. Helping us make the podcast grow is now on the charts. And I hope that one day we're all going to celebrate uh, about this podcast. Thank you so much. Before you go, please do me a favor. Send my love to your family. I really mean this. Please send my love to your family. I am personally grateful and thankful to have an amazing son, a beautiful son, and friends who I can call when I have challenging moments and difficult times. I'm also grateful to know that you know we are learning together. We are doing our bits to make the world a better place. As Maya Angelou said, when you know better, you do better. Come back soon and listen to the I Am The God podcast. I have amazing guests for you in the next coming weeks, including American footballer Michael Bennett and British author Kerenza Jennings. Her book is called The Seas of Snow. I loved reading it over the weekend last week. Thank you so much for being here. Please go on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, and follow us on uh, social media. And also subscribe to the podcast, as I said earlier. Uh, download our podcast i'm sure you're going to be inspired thank you so much for being here i love you so much and uh, i will see you very soon goodbye